Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here is a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. This is the 10th week in our Holy Spirit series. I really enjoyed uh, Tim Enloe last Saturday night, Sunday morning and Sunday night. The last couple of weeks, we've been camped out on uh, the doctrine of and then actually experiencing the baptism in the Holy Spirit for the purpose of power, for the purpose of being an effective witness, for the purpose of going beyond ourselves. We were designed to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to minister to other people. And one of the things that Tim said uh, was that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is not an event It's a process, right? So when you receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, when you receive that empowerment, if you believe that it's an event, then you'll stop there. You'll say, okay, this event happened to me. I have my pin on my lapel. I'm now super Christian. I don't have to do anything. And that's not what God's word teaches at all. It's one step along in the process of growing in your destiny that God has for you. So, you know, the purposes, the plans, the giftings that he's given you, the anointing that he's given you, that's all a part of the process. In fact, he used the example of moving the ball down the field. I like my Pittsburgh Steelers. Football camp has started. I'm gonna see who's ready. No, I'm not gonna do that. (laughs) But he used the example of moving the ball down the field. And it created a visual for myself of, you know, when you're seeking not, not an experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but you're seeking Jesus. So you're seeking a person to pour out another uh, person of the Holy Spirit in the, uh, yeah, in the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So he said, you're moving the ball down the field. So every time you come to the altar, every time you pray, pour out, you have to envision by faith you moving the ball down the field. So last Sunday, if you were on the, if you could picture yourself on the 20-yard line, you said, Jesus, pour yourself out on me, empower me more, do something else in my life that you haven't done before. By faith, when you walk out of this room or by faith, when you walk out of your bedroom in your prayer closet, wherever you are, you should picture yourself in your spirit now on the 30-yard line. The next time you ask, Jesus, pour out your spirit. Your word says that I should be filled continuously with your spirit. When you're done with that prayer time, when you're done having... In church service, you should picture yourself on the 35-year line, the 40-year line. Are you catching the drift here? By faith, you're moving the ball down the field. I talked to somebody that didn't receive, they, they didn't receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. They didn't receive that experience. And we were just talking through things. I said, listen, even when you receive that, you haven't arrived. You can't picture that experience as the end zone or you'll just be done. I said, so picture, maybe you're, maybe you're not even seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're just letting God work things out in your life. Maybe you're new, uh, new to faith and you're working on the fruit of the Spirit. You just want holiness to be demonstrated. I said, picture those things as the 50-yard line. That's it. Picture those as the 50-yard line. When you cross that 50-yard line, now you're working downhill. Now you're attacking the enemy. Now you're destroying the works of the enemy in your life and other people's lives. And then when you get into that end zone, which is an everlasting end zone, it doesn't end, there's no end line, that's where then you are walking in personal holiness, where you're leading people to Jesus, where you're praying and you're seeing results. You're seeing people healed. You're seeing people delivered. Does this make sense? Just the three of you. That's good. You're like, no, I'm not following you at all, Kurt. (laughs) Does it make a little bit of sense? So it's a process of growing with him. We're not looking at where we've arrived. We're saying, listen, I want to take that ball further down the field with you and be more and more effective for you. 
Jesus did this. And we think, you know, Jesus was God. And we don't look at the scriptures and say, well, Jesus actually set aside his divinity. He allowed, he allowed himself to be emptied out. But even all the way back in the beginning, in Matthew chapter 3, sorry, verse 13, Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River. He wanted to be baptized by John the Baptist. It says, John tried to talk him out of it. He's like, listen, I need to be baptized by you. Why are you coming to me? Jesus said, listen, this should be done, for we must carry out all that God has required. So John agrees to baptize him. Up to this point in Jesus' life, he performs no miracles. He's not in ministry. Now watch what happens at the moment he's water baptized. It says, after his baptism. So Jesus himself was dunked all the way underwater and all the way back up. But he didn't need to be born again. How many of you know that? He didn't sin. He didn't need his human spirit regenerated. He was sinless. But he does it to fulfill all righteousness. He does it to set the example to model what a life should look like. So he comes up. It says, the heavens were open and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. So I don't know if it was a vision that he saw, that some other people saw, at least when Matthew was writing it. It's in a few of the other uh, gospels where there was a, something of physical form like a dove, but it was the Holy Spirit resting upon him. And it says, the voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. So because Jesus did not need to be born again, the Holy Spirit falling upon him is him being filled with the Spirit and being baptized by the Spirit. And we see a dove representing. We know a dove through Scripture represents innocence. It represents purity. And we know Jesus embodied that perfectly, right? It's through his purity. It's through his innocence that we're actually made right with God. It's only because of his purity, his sinlessness. If you remember the dove that was sent out from Noah's Ark, right? The first time it was sent out, came back. Second time it was sent out, and then it had the olive branches. The olive branches that we know from scripture is a symbol of peace. We know that things were drying up. And by the third time, the dove sent out and actually found a place to rest upon. Why? Because God had let the waters recede and he had made peace with the earth. He had baptized the earth with water. He removed all unrighteousness. Now there was a place of righteousness for this dove to land. Lots of years later, the dove finds a righteous person to land upon. And he fills Jesus with the Holy Spirit. Why? For the purpose of peace. Jesus is filled with the Spirit. The dove rests upon him, right? Settles on him for the purpose of preaching the gospel of peace so that we can be reconciled with God. So now what happens? What happens after Jesus' baptism? It's 40-day fast. It's temptation. When he comes, temptation from the devil, which he overcomes by the word of God, as Sue was talking about. After that, we start to see him preaching the kingdom of God, performing miracles, ministering to the poor. His ministry is launched, not just because he got dunked underwater, but because the Holy Spirit came upon him, rested on him, and then he hosted the presence of the Holy Spirit the remainder of his life. So a lot of people say, listen, if, you know, I, 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 if I'm going to do what Jesus did, and if I'm going to have my life, I need, I need the anointing. And Sue mentioned that word a couple of times. A lot of times we talk about the anointing, we're, we're picturing a thing. Like, I, I have to grasp this little magical anointing, this little formula that's going to make my life work. 
the scripture, in scripture, Jesus, his last name's not Christ. People call him Jesus Christ. It's not his last name. Christ isn't his last name. Christ in Greek, Christos, means the anointed one. So Jesus, the Messiah, is the anointed one. Then scripture says when we give our life to Jesus, it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. We've said this before. Is Jesus living in a little box in your heart? No, <laughs> he's not. You're, all, you're just staring at me today. This is a tough crowd. Give me a break. I just had my birthday. Say yes. No, he's not. He's not living in your heart in this little box. The spirit of Jesus is living in you through the Holy Spirit. So if Christ is the anointed one, when you give your life to Jesus and you surrender yourself to him, the Holy Spirit comes in you, you have the anointing in you already. What happens is people don't think about hosting that presence of the Spirit. They don't aware, they're not aware enough that he's in them and that he's upon them, so they don't walk in the anointing that God has for them. So we're not seeking some external thing. We're realizing the anointing of God lives in me through the Spirit of Jesus. So I've done this uh, with several of my classes before. Who, who's done, who's done the, the, the dove challenge with me? Put your hand up. There's probably like 40 of you in here. I won't ask you to come up and do it again, but I want you to picture something. I have 25 of these, and I'm trusting the Lord's gonna actually speak to 25 of you to do this. I want you to picture the owner of a bird store giving you a challenge, that he was going to give you a dove for one week, and you had to host that dove upon your shoulder all week. He's, I can put him upside down, he'll stay, but he'd get dizzy. He won't stay, I'll just hold him. But I want you to picture that a real dove would be given to you, and that you have to host him for a week. Think about how life would be just a little bit different. How would you move differently? How would you act differently? How would you react to stressful situations, to fearful situations, exciting situations? Think about how you would live differently if your goal was to host this dove in such a way that he does not take off. Now think about that. In the spiritual sense, this is what happened to Jesus. The dove came and rested upon him in the form of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus effectively hosted him for the remainder of his life. And that is how Jesus ministered. In the anointing of God, because the Holy Spirit had rested upon him and he hosted him well. He didn't forget he was there. But he recognized what God was doing through the presence of the Holy Spirit. This past week, uh, we went to the movies on Friday night and I had an opportunity just to help a, a, guy, a young guy that had uh, braces on his legs. He was just struggling to get into uh, his wheelchair. So I just held the wheelchair for him. Obviously, you know, the Lord wanted me to pray for him. I believe the Lord wants him well. So you don't have to like ask, do I have permission? I feel like God's giving you the green light. So I just asked if I could pray. I just said, hey, I'm a minister. I believe Jesus still heals. Do you mind if I pray for your son? You know, I asked the, 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 the young man if I could pray for him. He said, yeah. I noticed one thing after, after I was done praying with them is I was down on my knees and I'm praying for him. All my focus, see, before I'm seeing him and I'm thinking, Jesus wants to heal him. Jesus wants to touch him. I know God wants to heal him. And then when I get down on my knee and I see these braces and I put my hands on his braces, all my attention goes to the brace. I realized I missed it like in this moment. And I'm thinking, I'm focusing, and I started to pray, and his like leg twitched. I'm like, wow, you know, I'm just thinking like maybe he's doing something that didn't happen again. And I didn't ask him to test it out or anything like that. But as I'm praying, 
I realized a couple minutes later, the Lord started like giving me um, some words of knowledge for him and he had passed by two other times by that time. So I'm just like unpacking this in my brain the rest of the night. I'm thinking, wait a minute, if my focus would have been on, knowing that I'm preaching this, like this was just two days ago. If my focus would have been on the dove and not his legs, what could have happened differently in that moment? Right, if I'm just thinking about Holy Spirit and not these braces, I'm thinking about Holy Spirit and not, um, you know, wow, that would be really hard for him to stand up right now. I'm thinking about Holy Spirit. He, I would have received those words right then. I could have spoken it, whispered it right into his ear. He could have received words of knowledge, prophetic words, maybe even healing that day. I didn't fail, right? Love never fails. So there's no guilt, no condemnation. It was just a good lesson for me. So the assignment in my class, which I give to 25 of you that feel led to do it, I do ask that you sign these out because I want to follow up with you and see what the Lord's done. Because some people have had some pretty, pretty cool testimonies. If the, Holy, if the Holy Spirit leads you to do it, I want you to take this and I want you to host this dove for a week, okay? You're not allowed to race up here after service. There, I believe that the Lord will absolutely confirm it in your lives. I want it to be visible everywhere you go. So if you're in Shop and Save, if you're at work, if you're whatever, you're actually hosting it. Because we're not supposed to be, we're not supposed to be ashamed of the Holy Spirit upon our lives, right? You're like, well, I just checked out. I am not signing one of those out. <laughs> We've had a teacher, Mrs. Carter, did you not pin this to you for the whole week? Or you had it with you the whole week? Had it with you. We've had people in the medical professional, I think somebody else in the education world, that, that actually kept it. They, they, they held it with them. I don't know if they put it in their bag on the way to work, but they put it on their table, on their desk. It does two things. Number one, it will, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, this will radically change how you look at the presence of the Holy Spirit upon your life. Every time you look at that, you're like, yep, he's still with me. Yep, he's still with me. Yep, still there. This is the presence of the Spirit. Now, the good thing is, is he doesn't fly away when we mess up right? But the more we realize the Holy Spirit, not the dove, but the Holy Spirit is upon us. He's in us and upon us. Every time you look at this, this will be a week of training of how to host his presence well in your life. And so you're ministering more effectively than you ever have before. The second benefit of something like this is it's going to start a lot of conversation because you're like an adult carrying around a stuffed dove. <laughs> and we've gotten testimonies back about that too, like, why are you holding a dove? Why is the dove on your desk? And it actually is a conversation opener. So if you know you want to host him better and you know you want to witness more effectively, this will serve both purposes just by hosting him. It will start conversations that will lead you right into talking about Jesus. So if, you're, if you've had a, a hard time, like what's my open, opening liner if I want to witness to somebody, carry a dove around for the next week. And we'll do it. So Jesus modeled this. In Luke 2:52 it says that Jesus himself grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all people. Which means as Jesus was growing up in his body and stature, he was actually growing in wisdom and favor with God and man. Which means it wasn't favor like as in blessing. It was favor as in, I am pleased with you. I, like, like God the Father saw his son in complete and perfect obedience. He saw him uh, growing up that way, and he saw it, and there was a pleasure in that. And even though a lot of people hated him, right, because they had the wrong Messiah in their minds of who was going to come, he grew in favor with a lot of people too, because they saw him living a life of holiness and integrity. We're going to keep hitting on that thing because we're a Pentecostal church, and we talk about power, and we talk about the 
baptism, we don't wanna lose the essence and the importance of personal holiness, to walk as Jesus walked. It's not just the miracles. It's the being ever so aware and keen of the presence of the Holy Spirit upon your life, that you'll actually do what Jesus did in personal holiness and in empowerment. So we say, well, Jesus was God. He could do this. We forget about Philippians chapter two, verse five. It says this, you, say me, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Well, that's impossible, one might say, right? Verse six, it says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he, this is Jesus, gave up his divine privileges The original language, it means he emptied himself. Of what? Of his divine power. He chose to step outside of that box of being God so in order for him to live as a human, could live fully dependent upon the presence of the Holy Spirit in his life. It says he took the humble position of a slave. I mean, this is your savior. He was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. So how did he model this? He was a human, though though fully God, he emptied himself of God's power. So I'm not saying he was never at one time not God. He chose to empty himself of that. So he walked on the earth as a human. He was sinless. And at his water baptism, right after he was baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit. And he modeled how this could actually work. So let's check these off. Are you human? We've done this several years ago. Are you human? Yes. Are you sinless? Thank you, Sarah. Here goes 10,000 invisible points. Sarah said yes. Do we sin sometimes? Yes, we commit acts of sin. Are we sinless in eyes of the, through the eyes of the Father when we receive Jesus as Savior? Yeah, this is a point that a lot of us miss. We feel like sinners, so we act like sinners, so we don't depend on the Holy Spirit. You're human, and you are actually sinless. You do not have a sin nature from God's view of you, right? Because he sees you through the blood of Jesus. So though you might commit acts of sin, you are not a sinner by nature. I mean, if he says that he doesn't remember for as far as the east is from the west, he doesn't remember your sins, your transgressions, why in the world are we remembering them? So you're human. From the Father's perspective, you are no longer a sinner, but sinless. You're not gonna take an account for your sins. So the third part is, are you filled full with the Holy Spirit? And are you hosting it well? That's our responsibility, right? To seek Jesus, to receive his fullness, and then actually walk in that and host his presence well for the remainder of our lives. I believe Jesus did this through, two, through operating in two different ways here. And John chapter five is one of them. Jesus explained this. I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Jesus didn't go off as a renegade. He did what he saw the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing. I do not believe that Jesus had a film strip right in front of him that could just see everything. I believe it required time with the father to actually get a heart for what the father would want to do. We have the written scripture all bound for us. 
So yes, the Holy Spirit still speaks to us and leads us, but we actually can see what the will of the Father is by seeing how Jesus lived his life, right? Isn't this, this is pretty cool. If we follow the life of Jesus, we know we're following the will of God because Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. So if Jesus healed the sick, then we know we can pray with the sick. If Jesus went and delivered people who were being oppressed and possessed and tormented by the devil and demons, we can go and minister to them because Jesus did it. If he cared for children and cared for the poor and preached about the kingdom of God, this is all the will of the Father. So we don't even have to guess at some of this stuff. Look at the life of Jesus. He says it in a different way. In the second part of verse 26 in John chapter eight, he says, I only, uh, or I say only what I have heard from the one who sent me. And he is completely truthful. Amen. In verse 28 of John chapter eight, he says, I do nothing on my own, but say only what the Father has taught me. So what Jesus is actually explaining is how we can host the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. Do what he's doing, say what he's saying. If you stay in that lane, you're pretty much in the will of God for your life. And you'll, have, you'll be an effective witness for him. So how do we do that? Well, I would think this. It's very important, whether you're a new believer, you're growing in your faith as a believer, or whether you've recently been baptized in the Holy Spirit, wherever you are in your walk, I believe it's important every single day to turn your affection toward the Lord. So what does that mean? It just means turn your heart and your thoughts toward him. I'm not saying get out your prayer list. Just stop and turn your attention to him. Turn your heart to him until he just warms your heart. And you know, okay, wow, I have his attention. He has my attention. <laughs> and then from there, I would encourage you to pray out loud every day in English. And if you're filled with the spirit, in your spiritual language, I would actually, I, I would encourage you to speak out those words so your faith can be built as well. The power of what? Life and death are in the tongue. So yes, I know I, I, I pray in my head a lot in the, you know, in the morning if I'm reading my Bible and so on, I'm thinking about things, but I'm making it more and more of a habit to speak out loud when I'm praying, pray in the spirit every day. I would encourage you to be in God's word every day. How better to host his presence, but to just be saturated by the words of God for your life. I would encourage you to do something and say something that would encourage someone else every day. Think about that. Do something that would encourage or build somebody up and actually say something that would too. And you'll get in the routine of becoming more focused on other people rather than just yourself. The last thing I would encourage you to do is to be around other people who stir up that passion in you. Be around other believers who are gonna encourage you and build you up uh, in the ways of the Lord. So what happens is this, God puts his down payment in you. Then he pours out a greater investment of the Holy Spirit upon you. And we actually have the privilege and the responsibility to host that well. The early church actually did this. I wanna go through a couple of verses of how it actually follows Peter as he hosts the, the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter two, we've read this the last three weeks. I won't spend time on it. It's the day of Pentecost. They were in the upper room together. We know they were praying. We know they were seeking God. It says here, uh, what looked to be like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present, was filled with the Holy Spirit, began speaking in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them this 
ability. So they're seeking Jesus. I don't think they're just sitting there quietly. I believe they're all calling out in the Lord. And it says here, it says the tongues of fire rested upon them. This tongues of fire that represents the Holy Spirit filling them, not just their heart, but filling their mouth with supernatural ability to effectively communicate the love and the message of God. We say, I wanna be more of an effective witness. I I wanna reach people for Jesus. I wanna make a difference for Jesus. Then ask for that fire of God to just come upon you. Again, that fits whatever personality. When you hear fire of God, you don't have to be all exuberant and yell about it. You sit quietly, fire of God, come, touch my heart. Touch my words and my tongue that I could speak effectively for you. The result of that is 3,000 people. Peter goes from denying Jesus to preaching an anointed message of God with boldness and clarity so that 3,000 people come to know him, to know Jesus. Then he explains it in Acts chapter two, verse 32. It says, God raised Jesus from the dead. We're all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. So what happens? It says, the father, as he promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us just as you see and hear today. So Paul or Peter's saying, this is what happened, folks. Jesus actually poured out his Holy Spirit so that we can be empowered. Now that Holy Spirit is resting upon us and now we can steward it. How did they steward it in the New Testament? If you wanna go to Acts chapter two, verse 42, it says all the believers were devoted, what? You have Acts chapter two, verse 42. It says all the believers, uh, they met in one place. um, Go back up to 42 if you have it there. So they devoted themselves to what? The teaching, which means they were getting the word to fellowship, which means they were around people who stirred each other up, sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, remembering the death and the sacrifice, and to prayer. They prayed together, not just by themselves. So what happens? We see a deep sense of awe. We see miraculous signs and wonders. If you wanna go to the next slide there. And it continues on too, where they're sharing, where they're sharing. All right. So they shared everything they had. Not all the time, but it says that they sold, sold properties and possessions. They shared with those who were in need. So there was compassion. They worshiped together each day. They met in the, in the homes together. Again, they shared meals. And the result was, of course, joy. There's generosity. And in the following verses, it says that the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. So they didn't say, wow, we had a really cool Holy Ghost party in the upper room the other day. And then they go on with their lives. They hosted him by being in the word, being together, being in prayer, being serious about it, but serious enough about it that they could be filled with joy. So not serious in like a boring, serious kind of way. Serious as committed and dedicated so that true joy wells up inside of them. So one of the things that happens here in Acts chapter three, Peter and John, they're going to the temple. They see a man who was lame since birth. And and, uh, he asks for some money. In verse four, it says, Peter and John looked at him intently. Peter says, look at us. The lame man looked at them, expecting some money. And Peter says this, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Peter goes and actually grabs him Uh, helps him up. And it says in in a few verses later that the man was walking, leaping, and praising God. We see a physical healing because he was able to get up and walk. I don't really see people who are sad doing this. 
right? So I'm assuming he was emotionally healed that day. He's like really filled with joy, right? And he's praising God, meaning he recognizes that Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, is the one that healed him, meaning he is spiritually being healed. And Peter's saying, listen, I don't have all this natural stuff. The only thing that I have, I'm gonna give to you. What did he have? What did he have? Yeah, he had Jesus through the presence of the Holy Spirit resting upon him. He had authority given to him in Matthew chapter 10. I think it's in verse one, where it says that Jesus gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease, okay? Then in Acts chapter 10, I believe it's in verse eight, it's, he sent them out and he says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers. Freely you've received, freely give, right? This is in Matthew while Jesus is still here. After Jesus goes to be with the Father, Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit upon Peter. So now Jesus has authority given to him back in Matthew chapter 10. He has power given to him in Acts chapter 2. This is what he has to give. And Peter's saying, I don't have all the silver or gold. The only thing I have, I'm going to give to you. Rise up in the name of Jesus and walk. And everything he had was from Jesus. And everything he did is because I believe Peter hosted the presence of God well upon his life. In Acts chapter five, starts at verse 12, many miraculous signs and wonders were happening. But in verse 15, it says this. This is a crazy verse. It says, as a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought into the streets on the beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as they went by. Crowds came from all villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick as those who uh, uh, and those who possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. I'm not trying to create a theology that your shadow should heal people. What I'm trying to create is this, a picture of Jesus hosting the presence so well that as he walked past, he was absolutely, positively sure that the spirit of Jesus would heal all of these people as he walked past, just as a shadow was cast on them. It wasn't his shadow anymore. It's the shadow of the dove. It's a shadow of the fire. It's a shadow of what God's spirit is doing upon him. His shadow was simply a point of contact for the people's faith. But it doesn't say that happened to all of them. I believe Peter walked in a full awareness of what Holy Spirit wanted to do with him and through him at any time. But then people, it says all of them were healed. I believe one of the easiest, one of the most effective, not easiest, one of the most effective ways to do this is by pouring out. Tim Menlo said something, I don't know if it was at a training or one of the evening sessions. He says, if you find somebody in the church that's really critical, you will most likely find these people are not serving in ministry. That doesn't mean that everybody who doesn't is not currently in a ministry. It could be your life stage or any of that stuff. No guilt, condemnation. It doesn't mean if you're not in ministry, you're critical. He's just saying, when you find people who are critical of other people in the church, most likely they're not pouring out. Because every time the Holy Spirit poured out in Peter's life, John's life, in different cities, in Acts, we already read it, uh, different cities in Samaria and so on, it says that the city was, uh, had great joy. And in people's lives, there was great joy because there was a pouring out. So I want you to take a look at this map real quick of the Sea of Galilee versus the Dead Sea. We've seen these 
uh, descriptions before. And the top yellow circle is the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee has many entrance points of water rushing through it. The Sea of Galilee is where Jesus called people to be fishers of men, right? Sea of Galilee, uh, Jesus camped around there, ministered around there. So the Sea of Galilee, it's the top star, the red star. The Sea of Galilee comes in and it actually flows back out to the south. So it comes in from the north, flows out from the south. So there's a receiving end for the sea and there's a giving end to the sea. And that sea flourishes with life, with sea life. Now it's completely different with the Dead Sea, which is by the Black X. As the Jordan River flows into it, the two tributaries on the east flow over to the Dead Sea. You see the one small, you might see the one small uh, uh, river on the the south side is actually disconnected from the Dead Sea. So the, the Dead Sea receives and receives and receives and doesn't give out at all. And the salt content, I think there's bromide and some other chemicals that just come in there and just sit there. These things that could all be useful while flowing, but because it just sits and doesn't give out, no life is, is in this sea. It's completely dead. It's lifeless. I believe that this is a picture that can be used that as we receive from the Holy Spirit and we just think, listen, you're on me for a reason. You've come upon me for a reason to benefit other people. And as we're more and more aware of what he's doing in our life, what he's doing through our life, that we'll receive from him, but we'll also give and give and give. Jesus makes a comment in John, I think it's chapter four. Yeah, it's in John chapter four, that when we're born again, that we have eternal waters, the Holy Spirit, right? Bubbling up. We have a well of water bubbling up within us. It's eternal life. But in John chapter seven, it also says that rivers of living water should flow from our heart. So we have the waters within our soul for our benefit and water should be flowing from us for the benefit of other people. Why don't we stand at this time? What I'm asking for is just a very simple commitment from you that if you, it's not about the doves, if you, if you wanna take a dove and actually go through that experiment, Take one. I ask that you do sign your name, not so I get my dove back, which would be nice, but so that I can contact you maybe Thursday or Friday this week and see what God's doing in your life. And you know, if you're, if you're one of you, I'll, I'll just trust that they're all taken. But what I'm asking from you today is if you uh, have a conviction in your heart today, uh, a good heaviness, a tug upon your heart today to host the Holy Spirit better in your life. And I'm just asking that you would just come up here and meet me at the altar space. We're gonna sing a song together that just invites more of his presence uh, in your life. So if it's something in your life, it doesn't mean you're in a bad season or anything. If you just say, listen, I'm committed to being more aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life than ever before. I just ask that you come, you meet me down here, and then we'll pray to close. Father, we're aware that you can do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you wanna do it. Father, we also know that as you pour your Holy Spirit upon us, it is our responsibility to keep that flame going. It's our responsibility to host him well, to be aware of him. So God, today, this morning, we say we welcome the Holy Spirit in our lives. We welcome more of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Father, we see 
after believers were filled, they were filled again. So we just ask again, more and more and more. Jesus, we ask that you pour more and more of your Holy Spirit. We welcome him in our lives. Father, as he comes in a greater way, we commit today by the grace of God to host him well, to have him over for dinner and then never ask him to leave to allow him to rest upon us for the remainder of our days, that we would walk in personal holiness and that we would walk in power with an effective witness, with an effective prayer life, and that we would see the captives set free by the working of your spirit through our lives. So we surrender to you once again and we welcome you once again and we ask you simply to have your way and our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, these guys are up here, so they have a first chance at the dove. But if you want to try to fight them for one, that's fine. No. If you do grab one, if it's on your heart to host this dove, it is a prophetic act that the Lord's going to move through you. Sign your name out at the info center. I'd love to connect with you this week. Bless you. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.